So in the remaining afternoon sessions at this time, I'm going to be offering some guided meditations to develop the first of the two Brahma-Vihara practices that I mentioned last night. Uh, the Brahma-Viharas being these four skillful states of heart and mind that we can cultivate through particular forms of meditation practice. And the first of these is metta, usually translated as kindness, loving kindness, and then compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. And I mentioned that last night that the term Brahma-Vihara is... uh, can be translated in different ways as, for example, sublime abidings or the four immeasurables. And I wanted to, the point that I forgot last night when I lost the pages of the talk from Bhikkhu Analyo was that pointing to this quality of the Brahmaviharas as being boundless or immeasurable. Perhaps you've had that experience of when the heart is really open and spacious, it's a very different feeling than when we're assailed by one or more of the hindrances or the root poisons. And somehow when the mind is tight and contracted and in the grip of the root poisons, it seems to be that much easier for all the others of the difficult states to get a toehold and to come in and join the party. The opposite is also true, that when the heart-mind is open and spacious, as it is when we cultivate these four qualities, the difficult energies can't get as much purchase because of that spaciousness. And there's an analogy in the suttas they use, it's like trying to paint on the air. There's nowhere for it to land. So we might have a sense of that as we practice these, how these Brahma-Viharas can be a protection from the root poisons because there's not, the roots can't get roots. There's nothing for them to grip onto. So this is yet another benefit of cultivating these states. They protect us from the harmful states getting too much of a hold on us. So before we go into the actual practice, just a little bit more context. Many of you know I often refer to this overarching metaphor for the practice being these two wings of awakening. The practice overall is sometimes framed in terms of two wings of wisdom and compassion. And all Buddhist meditation practice aim to develop one or the other or sometimes both of these two wings. So the insight practice, the mindfulness practice that we're doing comes under the wisdom wing And these Brahma-Vihara practices come under the compassion wing. And we can get a sense from that metaphor is that we really need both wings to be equally well-developed if we're going to metaphorically fly. So if the insight or the wisdom gets too far ahead of the compassion wing, our practice can feel dry, perhaps a little disconnected or even painful, because there's an old joke that self-knowledge is not necessarily good news, or even not often good news. And if we start to see our own challenging aspects in vivid high definition, and we don't have the compassion wing to hold that clear seeing, it can be painful. Sometimes the opposite is true. The compassion wing gets very highly developed. The heart feels very open 
we feel acutely aware of the suffering in the world or we feel very soft and vulnerable but if we don't have the wisdom wing to underpin it again we're off balance so we really need these two to be working together so compassion in that metaphor is a kind of umbrella term for all of the brahma viharas for all skillful states not only compassion so it can also include generosity and ethical conduct and so on so we've already to some extent been cultivating this attitude or attention aspect of metta that sharon talks about when i asked you to keep in mind the mantra of exploring and enjoying as you do these practices and then the other attitude of kind curiosity so having that subtle warmth towards our experience is also an aspect of metta and as i said last night the conventional translation of metta as loving kindness perhaps isn't so helpful so mostly i'll leave the word metta untranslated and you can put in whatever word makes more sense for you perhaps friendliness or benevolence or goodwill or even just non-ill will and over the next few days i'll be offering some different ways of doing this metta practice and i just encourage you to try out these different approaches and see what might work for you because again one of the things i appreciate about these practices is that you can't really go too far wrong it's quite hard to accidentally develop too much metta you can try but so far it hasn't happened so really give yourself permission to be creative here and to enjoy yourself and although the buddha stressed the importance of metta and the brahma viharas in many of his teachings he didn't give a huge amount of instructions about how to actually do it as far as we know within the suttas in terms of a meditation practice the instructions he gave were simply to quote abide with our heart minds imbued with metta then spread this metta pervade it outwards in the four compass directions to the north the south the east the west then above below and all around until it covers the entire world so he starts with the assumption that we're already abiding with our heart minds imbued with kindness which for most people is quite a big assumption and so i think later on in the tradition the technique of reciting phrases silently developed and that's the form that is mostly practiced in terms of western insight today so western teachers such as sharon salzberg and jack cornfield and tara brack when they offer guided metta they usually do it in this form of silently reciting phrases of well wishing and to offer them to these different categories of people starting where it comes most easily and traditionally in the early teachings this was uh, we started with ourselves but as many western teachers have pointed out for many people starting with oneself is not always the easiest place to start so uh today i'm going to start with a category known as the benefactor and the benefactor has quite a broad range of meanings but 
Um, and its most traditional meaning is to think of somebody who has helped us or supported us in some way, perhaps been a mentor, perhaps a, a high school teacher that you may have had a good connection with, or a, a Dharma teacher, or could be an elderly relative who uh, you felt close to, felt a connection with, a kindly aunt or an uncle perhaps. It could also be a younger person. The main thing with a benefactor is it's someone that when you think of them, there's a natural flicker of warmth or appreciation or happiness. So in that sense, it could also be a young person, perhaps a grandchild or a favorite niece or nephew. It could be a non-human being, perhaps a pet, or perhaps some people have an affinity for wildlife, a particular parrot or a kookaburra or something that comes to your backyard every day. So it doesn't matter so much who or what it is, so much as that when you think of this being, there's a little bit of a sense of uplift. So then that can be your benefactor. And just a couple of points that we're trying to follow the path of least resistance. So we start with where it comes most easily. And this is not about trying to manufacture some kind of emotion. It's about setting an intention to cultivate goodwill. Sometimes the emotion comes as a byproduct of that. Sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't matter. The emotion itself is not the main goal. So even if you are sitting here for the next 30 minutes mechanically saying, may you be well, may you be happy, even that is better than nothing. That still is cultivating that intention. So don't, you know, when the heart is told to feel a certain way, at least my heart often goes into two-year-old mode and goes, no way. So this is not, we're not wanting to create performance anxiety here, but just this invitation to see, is it possible to connect with some sense of well-wishing, of well-being, wishing well-being for the benefactor. So the phrases that we'll be using, may you be safe, may you be healthy, may you be happy, may you know peace. And I'll be reciting them a few times through the guided meditation. But before we get to that point, I like to encourage people to see if they can connect with their own well-being first. Because if we're feeling tight and uncomfortable and frustrated, it's pretty hard to generate a more open, warm heart. So I'll offer a little bit of a guidance invitation just to see if you can find any aspect of your experience right now, coming back to Vedana, feeling tone, that is either pleasant or neutral. And again, you don't have to try too hard for great big feelings of pleasantness, but just the subtlety of the hands resting on the knees or the softness of the shoulders as you breathe out, or the texture of the shawl, just small things in your experience that are somewhat pleasant. So that's the general overview of what we'll be doing.